the fact of evil. Over the last decade or so, it seems as though, it just seems that way, and I think you would agree with me, it just seems as though there's more natural disasters, more civil unrest, diseases we've never even heard of, just coming along and wiping out thousands, bizarre and evil mass killings that make, they never make sense, but it seems like they just get more perplexing all the time. You add to that all the deep personal losses experienced by so many people. As believers, it has tested our vision of God for sure. It has tested our ability to try to give answers to people. How does God relate to evil? How does God relate to suffering in this world? Pretty challenging to try to speak to some of these dear folks there in North Bay that held their homes and lives burnt and some even the loss of lives. But in the midst of all these crazy things that are happening seemingly at an increasing rate, I assert today, and as we spoke last week, God is supreme in all things. God is good. He is wise. He is the ruler of all. His name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, everyone likes to be on the winning side. Supporting our favorite sports teams is big business, especially when that team gets into a championship race. Boy, I tell you what, everybody starts putting on their colors, and they love their team because it makes us feel good to be on the winning side or connected to a great team. Well, I got good news for you. If you're a follower of God, you are always on the winning side because God is supreme. He is supreme over everything. And I am so glad that you're here this morning because I really believe that as Christians get a a deep biblical understanding of evil and why things happen, it really helps settle their own spirit. And I really believe, as Peter said, it helps us give an answer to those who ask. Well, I had to laugh this week about, you know, how people sometimes... uh, doubt God's power or doubt the power of God's Word. I saw this little poster this week. It said this, if the Bible is just a book of fairy tales, then explain why it's banned in multiple states in 52 countries. I don't see anybody banning the reading of Snow White. Amen. The Bible is a powerful book. You say God is not real because you can't see Him? Uh, I don't think you saw evolution either. Well, there you go. The fact is, you know, we serve a great God, and His book is powerful, His word is powerful, His truths are supreme. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this great truth on the sovereignty of God. Lord, would you just collect our minds and spirits together? Lord, would you help us to understand this as best we can in our finite minds? Lord, open the eyes of our spiritual understanding that we might understand the depth and the breadth of the love and justice and love of God. In Jesus' name, amen. There are at least nine areas and arenas that God is sovereign over. Let's review for a moment. First of all, He is sovereign over dominion. Now, Satan's claim to Christ was that I can give you whatever kingdom you want. And we saw last week how that, that was true but only a half-truth. There's no doubt that Satan plays great havoc in maneuvering things so that he can get a a Kim Jong-un 
to be the leader of a North Korea with his murderous intent. But he only does this by the permission of God. And when he does so, it's always within appointed limits. We saw last week how that he is not only, God is not only supreme over dominion, but he is dominion, he is supreme over disasters. Job found security when the wind and an earthquake and fire had just destroyed his cattle, had killed his family. Somehow through it all, he saw Satan's hand, but he looked past it and he gave glory to the Lord. He said, you know, the Lord's really the one who gives and the Lord's really the one who takes away. And so even though Satan has a hand in it, it is God who is sovereign. And then we saw last week how that not only is God sovereign in dominion and disasters, but in discrimination. The fact is, sometimes it is God's will that we suffer. Peter said that. He said, if it be the will of God, then you must suffer once in a while. But if we do suffer, then the Bible says uh, God is there, He's with us, and the persecutor doesn't have the last word God does. All right, let's go to today. Let's find out what else God is sovereign over. God is supreme over death. He is supreme over death. Now, the Bible never minimizes the power of Satan to kill people, even Christians. Let's go to John chapter 8 and verse 44, please. John 8 and verse 44. Here in the Gospels, Jesus speaking to a group of false religious teachers John chapter 8, verse 44, ye are of your father. In fact, let's read that verse together if you would. Just the first part here. Ready, begin. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of the father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. We'll stop right there. He was a murderer from the beginning. Jesus was talking to these false teachers, these very proud religious men, and they were saying, well, you know, I don't know where you came from. You're just an upstart. We go back to Abraham. And all the things that we teach, we only teach what Abraham taught. We are Abraham's children. And Jesus said, well, honestly, you don't act like Abraham's children. In fact, I tell you who's you bear a distinct family resemblance to. And that is Satan. That's some pretty strong preaching right there. I mean, Jesus looked him right square in the eye and he said, you don't resemble Abraham. You act more like the devil, frankly. And then he actually proved that point. It wasn't just that he was, you know, throwing out some kind of, you know, disrespectful words. He said, the fact is, you are like the devil because the devil is a murderer and a liar. And that's exactly characterizes your life. And uh, he pointed out that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. Now, that doesn't mean he was a murderer from the day that God created him, because he is a created being. He was Lucifer, an archangel. But from the beginning of his uh, defection, from the beginning of his rebellion, from that very moment, he began to have a murderous spirit. In fact, his name, Satan, uh, the Greek word sitna, means hatred. Look at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12. Here, God talked to, John talked about how that Cain murdered 
his brother. And look what it says in 1 John 3 and verse 12, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one. Ah, very clearly, he said, Cain was inspired by Satan to kill his brother Abel. Now, we might look at that and say, well, there, that just goes to show you that Cain can't be held responsible for killing his brother because he was influenced by Satan. No, it doesn't lessen Cain's guilt. It just establishes the beginning of it and where it actually came from. Cain had every opportunity to say no to Satan, but he didn't. John records that Jesus didn't pull any punches. He said, you Jewish false teachers, and it could be any particular uh, group. It just happened to be at this time, the Jewish false teachers. Jesus said to them, you are murderers because you are taking millions to hell. And that's soul murder. And because it's soul murder, you resemble the devil. We are told in Revelation chapter 2, for example, the apostle John said this, he said, you know, in the tribulation period, Satan will actually kill people. Look what it says in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. In fact, let's read those verse, that verse together if you would. Ready? Begin. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life. Satan has the power to take life. In fact, he even has the power in these verses to take a Christian's life. But God very clearly says if that does happen for the cause of Christ, you're going to be rewarded with a much better life than you had here on earth, an eternal life. Is God not then the author of life and death? Well, he is. No one dies but by God's sovereign decree. He may use Satan. Look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 39. See now, see now that I, even I, am he. There is no God with me. I kill, I make alive. I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver me out of my hand. God said, I have absolute sovereignty over death and over life. He said, I kill, but I make alive. He allowed, God the Father allowed God the Son to die. He even orchestrated it. He allowed it to happen, but then he brought to life Jesus Christ. He kills, he makes alive. His sovereignty and his authority is incontestable. He has the ability to do what he wants with his creatures. The Bible said, I wound, I heal, I kill, and I make alive or keep alive. There can be two men in a war. They can be both sitting next to each other. They can be both with the enemy. One will die and one will live. Who is in charge of that? It wasn't just so happened, just by happenstance, no. God says he allows one to die and allows the other to live. And really, even the one living, it's only temporary. It might, he might be living for another 10 years or like some of these World War II vets, there's st several still around. They've been around for, you know, the last 60 plus years. 
all, ever since then. And they had friends that died in the war. God may allow them to live another 60, 70, 80, 90 years, whatever. And yet in the end, the Bible is very clear. No God, no demon, no Satan can snatch anyone from their life from them. Only God can do that. Look what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 6. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, the Lord killeth, the Lord maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave. He bringeth up. Our God is sovereign. He is sovereign over life. He is sovereign over death. The Lord killeth, and the, more, the Lord maketh alive. God presides in the burials, and God presides over the births. Whenever God directs a person to die, then they're going to die. It is God's will. Death is a messenger. It's a messenger from God. It is His hand that someone dies. In fact, Jesus said in the book of Revelation, He said, in my hands are the keys to grave and death. Those are in the hands of Jesus Christ. Sometimes people say, well, you know, um, these uh, big disasters that came through, and some say, you know, it's just the weather. Others have said, you know, no, it's a judgment of God. Well, to be totally accurate, uh, it absolutely is from God. He could be allowing Satan to just spin the wind. And in so doing, good people are hurt. But just like Job, I'm sure that Job wasn't the only one hurt by the lightning or the only one hurt by the great wind there that came. I'm sure other people, that's collateral damage. But God, with the same wind that tests his people, can at the same time judge the ungodly. You'd say, well, is it a judgment from God? Well, ultimately, God allows it. But God may use Satan. He is the one who is in charge. Look what it says in the book of James. James, the brother of Jesus, said this. Very stunning verses. In fact, when you begin to read them, you just realize how important they are. James chapter 4 and verse 14. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. Nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Nobody can predict that. You can go to someone with a crystal ball. It's not going to work. For what is your life? It is even a vapor like a little bit of smoke or steam. It appears for just a little while and then vanishes, gone. That's why, verse 15, you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall what? Live. If it's the Lord's will, we live. If it's not the Lord's will, I don't live. Ultimately, our living and dying is in the hands of the Lord. And I will say this, thank God he leaves us in dark as to these kinds of things. If God told us exactly when we were to die, I'm not sure that would be very helpful for most of us. We might kind of go the wrong direction or we might not finish what God wants us to do. The fact is, the Bible says we're supposed to be just busy about the work until He comes. And when He comes, whether it be the rapture or whether it become death, whatever the case is, here in the book of James, it says a thousand things can change our plans. Now, that doesn't mean we can't have plans for the morrow. And frankly, we should have plans for tomorrow. But the fact is, those plans are in the hands of God. And God can do whatever He wants to. God can help our car just go like it always goes. We might get to our destination, get there on time, and it's good. Other times, we get held up in traffic. Other times, we are missed by some accident by just seconds. You just never know what God is going to do. If the Lord wills, we live. If the Lord 
wills that we die, then we die. God, not Satan, has the final call. Ultimately, every person's death is in the hands of a loving God. And though God can allow Satan to do certain things, it's always in his hand. Have you ever heard of a man by the name of Harry Houdini? When I was a young uh, guy there, I used to read everything I could get my hands on about him. For some reason, I was just uh, intrigued by this uh, illusionist, uh, magician sometimes they're called. He actually died in 1926, but he was known for a lot of things. Mostly, he was an amazing escape artist. He also probably had some uh, connections to uh, Satanism, but strange guy. But uh, it became apparent that he looked like he was going to die, and uh, ultimately did just not long after he began to realize that. But he told his wife something before he died. He said, this guy who they could sew him up in a bag and he can get out of it. They could lock him in a coffin. He could get out of it. They put him in barrels. He could get out. It just makes, he got out of everything. They said he had a backbone like a snake. He just, and as he was so flexible, just unbelievable what he could do. Here's this man, escape artist, illusionist. If anybody could get out of something, this man could certainly get out of it. He's facing death, takes us, tells his wife, he said, honey, I'm, I think I'm going to die. But he said, if there's a way out, I'm going to get out. And he said, I'm going to come and visit you on the anniversary of my death. And so for 10 years, his wife kept a candle burning constantly right by his picture. And every year on his anniversary of death, she was waiting for him to come. But after 10 years, he never came. And she finally just snuffed the candle out. You know, it makes no difference if you're a Houdini. Nobody beats death. God is in charge of death. Satan's not in charge of death. God is in charge of our death. And nobody can take it from us. God is in charge of that. I appreciate so much what beloved Lynette used to say when it became very apparent that she was going to die just shortly. And she used to say, she said, you cannot scare me with heaven. You know what? And that's a fact. I mean, God, God is in charge of my living and my dime. He is supreme over death. He is also supreme over demons. Very clearly, he is supreme over the unseen world. Now, Christians seem to make two big mistakes about demons. One mistake is, ah, it's a bunch of nothing. And they don't even talk about it, don't even want to talk about it. But there are other folks that go the up opposite extreme. They see a demon behind every bush and everywhere. I mean, it's all, everything's about demons. I think there's probably some middle ground there that's probably the scriptural ground. Look what it says in James chapter 2. In scripture, they call them devils. The King James at least calls them that. James chapter 2 and verse 19, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe. Where do we get our word demon from? Well, it's actually a uh, Greek word that's kind of been anglicized. It is the Greek word daimonion, daimonion, which daimon, sort of like the word demon. And so here, James is clarifying in the book of James, as he does so often, the difference between saving faith, intellectual faith. He said, demons, devils, have intellectual faith, but they have not saving faith. 
The point being that demons have definite power. They are a spiritual being. And that's what Luke said in Luke chapter 7, verse 21. Luke chapter 7, verse 21. And in that same hour, he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits. And unto many that were blind, he gave sight. They're called evil spirits because you can't see them. They'll say, oh, you know, that person is a demon. No, you can't see demons. Very obvious. They are spirits. Now, they may indwell animals. I'm, I think I've met a few demon-possessed animals. They can uh, indwell people, we know from Scripture. But they are spirits. They don't have physical bodies. They can do things uh, through these people. Notice in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, they're called an unclean spirit. And when he had called unto them his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits, hallelujah, to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Demons are dirty. They're dirty because they're tricky. They're dirty because they're the author of false doctrine. They are dirty because they are the author of all perversion. But even though they're powerful... Christ gave his followers power to overcome them. The Bible simply says God is sovereign over every demon. God is sovereign. And if that wasn't the case, then nobody could ever be clean and pure and live a good life. Sometimes people say, well, that's just the way I am. It's not the way you are. It's the way you choose to be. Because God gave us power over every unclean spirit. We can have power over that. Look at Daniel chapter 10. God pulls back the curtain and gives us a very interesting look at how this dynamic between him, the demons, and we people work together. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel has been praying. He has been praying and just believing God and day after day and I forget how many days is it 10 or 15? I forget. Anyway, but he's been praying for day after day. And God had sent the answer, and yet demons had intercepted the answer. And so Daniel didn't get the answer. And notice what happened, chapter 10, verse 13. But the prince, and notice the difference between the prince in this verse and the king. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, that's why they're called a principality in the New Testament, because they are over certain jurisdictions. They are a prince, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and 20 days. There's the word, 21 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. Michael, the archangel, came to help this prayer. And I remained there with the kings of Persia. Reading before and after and reading what the Bible is saying here, it is saying that for 21 days, Daniel's prayer got stuck. 21 days. Have you ever felt like God didn't answer you when you prayed? Boy, I mean, you prayed and you think, okay, God's going to answer me today. It didn't happen. God's going to answer me tomorrow. It didn't happen. A week goes by, you're thinking, man, this stuff, why isn't God answering me? God may have sent the answer, but the principalities are fighting. Well, 21 days goes by and finally this answer gets to Daniel, and he gets, the, he gets the insight that God had sent to him. 
But it all points out that even though there's a fight, God's still sovereign and God always wins. Martin Luther, in his great hymn, said it this way, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. And I love this last phrase, one little word will fell him. One little word. Have you ever read and experienced one of those little words? Look at Matthew chapter 8 and verse 29. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 29, we have the story of Jesus and a man who was possessed by a legion of demons. This man was uh, screaming because he was so possessed with demons. I mean, he was just, he was berserk. He was crazy. Sometimes we come across people that, boy, it's like, man, these people are just, I mean, they're just, there's nothing but you could say. They're just demonized. I mean, you just sense it. There are some people, I'm telling you, I mean, it's within seconds of talking to them. There's just a, a spirit about them. And they scream. Verse 29, behold, they cried out saying, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God? Art thou come hither to torments before the time? You see, these demons know the scripture. They know there's a time that they're going to be cast into the fiery pit. There's going to be a time they're going to be cast into the bottomless pit. But it wasn't now. They didn't, they, they couldn't sense the sign. They knew that it wasn't, nothing was making sense. And, but Jesus said unto them, verse 32, and he said one word unto them. And he said unto them, go. Sometimes people say, well, what do you say when you want to get rid of demons? And, you know, our minds go back to some of these TV preachers who have all these big, you know, things, and they do this and they do that. We only need one word, go. In the name of Jesus, go, go. And when they went, came out, they went into a herd of pigs. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished into the waters. Now, if you ever wondered about if God is sovereign over demons, this verse right here points out not only is he sovereign, there is not even any kind of a comparison at all. Just one word, go, just go, and those demons go. Those of you who are young will know on this illustration there is a form of uh, entertainment called uh, MMA, mixed martial arts. And those of my generation and older, you'll know, you know about boxing, right? I mean, everybody's seen or known about boxing, and boxing is crazy enough. But mixed martial arts, I'm sure it should be outlawed. It's crazy, but the truth of the matter is it's really amazing to watch if you watch it for a few minutes. I can only watch it for less than that, I think. But it's, I've only seen a few seconds, really. It's just amazing. One of the greatest uh, uh, MMA fighters of all time, they say, is a man by the name of Anderson Silva. Rated all-time greatest uh, MMA fighter. They say pound for pound, he's the toughest, best MMA fighter it's ever been. His reflexes are lightning quick. He has an amazing reach. He's strong as anything. 
He said sometimes he can beat opponents in seconds. I mean, they'll get into a ring and within seconds, they're just gone. <laughs> they seem like they're in slow motion. Now, imagine a guy like that coming up against maybe some little child. I mean, that's kind of the comparison between God and Satan. One word, go. I'll tell you one thing. If I got in one of those rings, one of those people, all they'd have to do is look at me and say, go. And I'd say, I'm gone. I'm out of here. You got it. You know, I wouldn't. So if you take a million dollars, I don't I wouldn't take a million dollars to get beat up like that. No way. God is supreme over death. God is supreme over demons. One word and they're gone. Hallelujah. We don't have to be afraid of demons. We can respect their power, but I am not afraid of any demon. Number six, God is supreme over disease. Death, demons, and disease. Now, the Bible is very clear. Satan causes diseases. Maybe not all diseases, but he causes diseases. Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Power comes with the Holy Ghost filling, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. How was the devil oppressing people? He was oppressing them through sickness, physical, emotional, mental. I guarantee the devil is alive and well in the medical world. Now, what did Jesus do? Jesus went along and helped them come out from underneath that. He delivered them from the power of Satan. And let me just point out here, every time we get healed, it is not a doctor, although God may use a doctor. It is not the medicine, though God may use medicine. It is always from the hand of God. God is the one that delivers, as it says here, from the oppression of Satan. For example, in Luke chapter 13, Jesus is, founds a woman, finds a woman who had been so very sick for 18 years. 18 years she had been bent over, had severe form of scoliosis perhaps, or some other type of very terrible illness, and she couldn't stand up. Well, Jesus heals her. He speaks a word, and she is healed. Well, he, and so happened, does it on the Sabbath day, and did so on purpose, so that he could have a discussion about uh, him being the Lord of the Sabbath. The synagogue ruler came unglued. How could, how could you be doing work on the Sabbath? What's wrong with you? And Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. But look what he said in verse 16. And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound for 18 years, be loosed on the Sabbath day? He said, come on, guys. Mercy is more important than our traditions. <laughs> you guys are, uh, you know, you're swallowing camels and choking on little uh, mosquitoes. He said, get, get your head into the game and figure this thing out. The fact is, Jesus has victory over Satan and disease. How does he have that? Because it was purchased on the cross. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Say that little phrase with me, please. With his stripes we are healed. Say it again. With his stripes we are healed. Now, does that mean that 
every sickness will be healed. There are some uh, teachers uh, on TV especially and other books you can get, and they will tell you that uh, every sickness is to be healed. And in one sense, they're actually right. They might be wrong about the timing of it is all. Because really, uh, God is not promising I'm going to get my healing today or even tomorrow or next week. He's just promising that as a result of being saved, because I have believed in the finished work of Jesus Christ here, he, he, by His stripes, by the fact of His death, and by His burial, and by His resurrection, He brought healing, ultimate healing. I'm not only going to see God in my spirit, the Bible says I'm going to see God in my flesh. I'm going to have a new body. And that new body is going to eat. Jesus, in His glorified body, ate. I'll tell you one thing. I've said so many times, it's not going to be heaven to me if I'm not going to be eating. And I guarantee there's going to be some good food there. By His stripes we are healed. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 16. Jesus even pointed this out one time when He healed somebody. And when even was come, they brought to Him many that were possessed with devils. He cast them, the spirits out, with a word. Healed them all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our firmities and bare our sicknesses. All diseases, really, ultimately, are a result of the curse. When Satan was able to convince Adam and Eve and they sinned, really, at that point, all sickness began. And that's why if you feel bad, you maybe have some kind of sickness, that's why it's very oppressive, because it came from Satan. I mean, ultimately, it goes back to that time that Satan came into this world, and every, at that point, uh, when sin came into the world, every beautiful flower then had issues. Maybe those thorns that are now we see on the beautiful roses came at the curse. The beautiful little brooks that at one time were just meandering along became these rushing torrents that take away people and lives. But that's what happened at the fall. The fall just really messed up this whole world. And one of the things it did is that it brought sickness and disease into this world. And that's why every time we get sick, there is an oppressive feeling. There have been times when I felt so sick, my throat or my stomach, and I mean, I felt like the I could see the demons just dancing and laughing. And uh, I remember one time specifically, I was, uh, I couldn't, I, very seldom, I can't get out of bed. But there's been a few times I just honestly could not get out of bed. And boy, I tell you what, I remember one time I had the Christian TV on and uh, just was listening to some gospel music. And I began to just weep. And honestly, I didn't know why I was weeping. And I kind of thought I was cracking up or something because, you know, I mean, I just like, why am I, you know, why am I sitting here just crying, you know? And I just like felt like I was crying uncontrollably. But there was, some, there was a release taking place. I mean, I was, I was feeling so sick and yet, and then that music was just ministering to me and I was just asking God for his healing and the Holy Spirit was just ministering to me. I'll tell you what was happening there. God was healing me. He was, he was lifting the oppression along with the sickness. Now, ultimately, all 
disease goes back to Satan. But specifically, sometimes Satan actually causes it. Now, I don't know that every sickness is because Satan just puts it on us. Now, we do know that he does do that, as he did to Job. Absolutely, specifically did it to Job. And here'd be my guess. I believe as the, this is just what I would imagine. In Revelation chapter 12, it says, Woe to the inhabitants of this earth and the sea, speaking about the, the time before the coming of Christ. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has but a short time. It would be my guess that one of the things that the Satan is going to use prior to the coming of the Lord because of his great wrath is sickness and disease, specifically targeting people uh, and stealing their joy, stealing their physical strength. But notice what it, let's go back to what it says in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 17. It says, he himself took our infirmities. Folks, I like that. He himself, he himself took a personal interest in my, the way I feel. He himself took our sickness. He himself. God is in charge of all sickness. God is in charge and ultimately God can heal us or not heal us. That's his will. Look what it says in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 11. And the Lord said unto him, who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, those who cannot speak, or deaf, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? God says, I actually am the one who's in charge of all that. I can bring that. I cannot have it. That's what I do. That's who I am. I'm in charge of that. God said, I'm in charge of all imperfections. Sometimes we're upset because of certain things about our body, our bones or our eyesight or our teeth or, you know, there's a whole host of other things. But the fact is, God is in charge of every imperfection in my body. He also is in charge of my eyes seeing, and they're only going to see as long as He makes them see. They're only going to hear as long as... They, he makes them here. Every day I should wake up and say, Lord, I just thank you. If you can see today, just say thank you, Lord, because at any moment uh, he's in charge of that. If I can hear, and then if I can't, Lord, somehow, I don't know, but I just trust you. Your way is right. God is in charge of all of that. In John chapter 9, the disciples came and said to Jesus, say, this man is blind. Who sinned? Did his mom sin or did his dad sin? Who sinned? Jesus said, it wasn't the mom or the dad. He is blind for the glory of God. And I'm going to heal him, and God is going to get the glory. Amen. Why God does what he does, that's why he's sovereign. God is sovereign over every dominion, and he is sovereign over death, and he is sovereign over disease, and he is sovereign over every disaster. That's who God is. God is supreme over it all. Somehow he can use it, somehow he brings it somehow. He just does what he does. Everything ultimately is by the hand of God. As we started this series, I mentioned, I called it the fact of evil because it is just a fact. Evil is there. But I struggled with calling it the role of evil because in fact, evil really does play a part in the whole scope of the sovereign will of God. Somehow God does what he does, but he's going to get glory. 
Dr. Felix Rue was a Jewish doctor. He had the terrible displeasure of watching his granddaughter die of diphtheria. As he watched his precious little granddaughter die, he vowed if it killed him, he would find a cure for the terrible disease. Back in the late 1800s, the ideas of combating germs was difficult and hard to understand and put their finger on. They were still trying many ways to fight against disease and infection. One of the, uh, one of the things that he did was he felt like that you could inoculate somebody by taking the antibodies created by someone who had defeated the disease and treating somebody else. In order to help to prove his point, he took 20 horses, he swabbed all of their mouths with diphtheria, 19 of them died, one of them lived. He watched that horse through the night as it went through all of its issues. But the next day, that horse was standing up, eating and acting like it had never been sick. The doctor then went, took the blood. I looked on the internet, saw the picture of this apparatus where they actually took the blood from the horse. In fact, for many years, the serum for diphtheria was actually taken from uh, the antibodies created from these uh, horses. He took that. He uh, isolated that serum. He ran to the hospital. He, he made his way past the supervisor, past the um, security, went to the the, uh, where the babies were, he inoculated every baby that was suffering from diphtheria, and all of them but three lived. The point being that it took the blood of one to overcome and win and bring back life to all these others. And you know, God in all of that is sovereign. God used the blood of his son to give us eternal life. God uses all of these things so that we could have eternal life. And that's what God does. God takes this life and God takes all the stuff, the disease, the disasters, the death, the demons. He puts it all together and somehow it is a fact of evil. And yet this morning we, we celebrate the sovereignty of God. God is so good. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed.